You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Hello, everyone. It's good to join you again. I'm Craig. I'm your friend from Cross Culture. And I'm continuing our series in global mission. A couple of weeks ago, I was here and I spoke on the mission of peace. And this time I'll continue with the mission of mercy. It's another aspect of what God sends us to do. But before I begin, please, uh, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We commit ourselves to you and ask, please fill us with your spirit so that we can receive your word and obey your word and live for you in your mission. Amen. Hmm. Last time we met, we saw how God gives us our greatest purpose in life by bringing us into his mission of peace in the world. This ministry focuses on proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the saving work of our Lord. That is, Jesus died on the cross and rose to new life so that all who repent and turn to him no longer have enmity with God but are forgiven their sin and have peace with God in eternal life. Amen. But as we read more of scripture, we realize that there's another aspect to this mission. God sends us to extend his love, his mercy and compassion to a world in great need. So what are we to do? Are there two missions going on? Is our purpose in life divided? Should we love in practical ways or should we just use words? Today we'll see the beautiful and compelling work that God sends us out to do in his mission of mercy. First, why should we enter into this mission? The mission of mercy is based on God's command to love. We come to our story today where we meet a lawyer who asks Jesus, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? The lawyer is an expert of God's law, a religious man. It's a reasonable question. But it's not genuinely, he's not genuinely seeking instruction. Rather, he's trying to trap Jesus and accuse him. And as is often the case, Jesus responds to the loaded question with another question, putting the burden back on the lawyer. He says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, the lawyer provides what is actually an astute response. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus himself answers in much the same way in Matthew when he makes the connection between loving God first and loving your neighbor. And he affirms the lawyer's statement saying, you have answered correctly. Do this 
and you will live. Jesus' response may sound legalistic to our ears. A way to earn salvation through obedience to the law and so implying that we won't be able to live up to this standard has been taken this way. But it's not legalistic when considered with the whole of Jesus' teaching. Loving God presupposes faith in him. It's an outworking of repentance and receiving his forgiveness for our sin. Loving God and loving our neighbour is a response to him who loved us first and sent his son to give us life. Now these two commandments sum up the Old Testament law for how God's people are to live. To love God with all that one is and to love your neighbour as yourself. Loving God doesn't mean rejecting his word, but it motivates us to faithfully obey it and live it out. Loving God shows itself in loving our neighbour. And this is the motivation for us to live out his mission of mercy. An entrepreneur I know, he runs a charity called Southern Cross Kids Camps. And he and the volunteers seek to model God's love and bring hope for children around Australia who have suffered broken families, abuse, neglect and rejection. The thing is, his army of willing volunteers, they just love him. His joy and friendship, his encouragement and support. And so when he asks when he says that he needs them to do something, they do it because they love him and they want to take part in achieving the vision of seeing children flourish. And what he asks is not self-seeking or detrimental to others, but rather it means benefit and restoration for many hurting kids. All of God's commands find their ultimate expression in a life of loving God first and loving our neighbour as ourselves. And when we belong to Christ, we are filled with his spirit who bears the fruit of love in our lives. The spirit motivates us and directs us to live out God's commands in the way he intended. So when you read God's, when you read God's commands, ask yourself, how can I live out this world, this word, in a way that loves God with all that I am? Ask yourself, how can I do this in a way that loves my neighbour? God's commands to love him first and to love our neighbour as ourselves form the basis of his mission of mercy to the world. So what does this look like? Let's see how God's mission of mercy is expressed in neighbourly compassion. In our story, the lawyer has lost faith with Jesus' response and seeks to justify himself before the others watching. He seeks to regain the upper hand by asking Jesus to clarify part of his response. 
He asks, and who is my neighbour? The parable Jesus goes on to tell is not in answer to what shall I do to inherit eternal life, but in response to this question, who is my neighbour? You may well have heard this story many times. A Jewish man going from Jerusalem to Jericho is attacked by robbers. He's beaten, stripped and left for dead. Left for dead on the side of the road. Then a priest appears on the road, a religious leader who's meant to lead his people in righteousness. But when he sees the wounded and bloody man, he crosses to the other side of the road to avoid him, probably for fear of being ceremonially defiled. And then a Levite comes along, a member of the priestly tribe of Levi. What will he do? When he sees the man, he does likewise and passes by on the other side of the road. But then an unexpected character appears. Not a lay Jewish person presented as a model of righteousness who loves his own people. In a subversion of what the lawyer and all the listeners expect to hear, a Samaritan comes along who belongs to a despised people, who's looked down upon as compromised in faith, compromised in practice. But where the religious leaders turn away, the Samaritan turns to the wounded man. He tends to him who is not one of his own people, but a foreigner, if not an enemy. Where the first two remove themselves to preserve their religious propriety, the other comes and provides care. The Samaritan's compassion is more than feeling for him. His compassion is costly. We read in verses 34 and 35. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. His compassion involves sacrifice. Sacrifice of time and trouble to bind up his wounds, letting his donkey or his animal carry the man while he walked, then caring for him and returning for him. His compassion costs money and goods, treating his wounds with oil and wine, and paying two denarii for the innkeeper. That's about a day's wages for a labourer. So if you're a Bricky's labourer today, that's the equivalent of giving three to four hundred dollars in care for a stranger. Plus, he will give whatever more it costs to care for him at the inn. This depiction of a neighbour is not one of passive proximity to someone who lives nearby. Rather, it's one of active care, active care for one in need. 
Look carefully at who is shown to be the neighbour in the story. Jesus asks, who proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer responds, the one who showed him mercy. The thing is, the neighbour isn't identified as the man in need, though we may understand him to be a neighbour. The neighbour isn't shown to be any of the religious leaders who pass by without giving help. Instead, the neighbour is proven to be the one who helps the person in need. The thing is, Jesus doesn't strictly answer the lawyer's question, who is my neighbour? As in answering the question, who according to the commandment should I love? Rather, Jesus shows us how to behave as a neighbour by taking the initiative to give loving mercy and compassion to the one in need. Jesus says, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And Jesus shows us what the fulfillment of the command to love your neighbor as yourself looks like. In, in Jesus' ministry, he cleansed lepers, healed the sick and cast out demons. He gave sight to the blind and voice to the mute. He fed the multitudes. He preached good news to the poor and he raised the dead. And in showing us what love, mercy and compassion looks like, both in his life and in this very parable we've read today, Jesus says to us as his people, you go, you go and do likewise. Jesus sends us as his disciples to extend his word, his mercy to a world in great need. So let's seek ways to give an alienated, hurting and weary people the love, mercy and compassion of Christ. In your life, maybe you know someone who's struggling with illness. How can you help them? Or someone who's had an operation and can't move about. How can you help them? Or maybe you know someone who's depressed and isolated. They don't have any visitors. They're relationally poor. How can you help them? Remember Jesus who showed us how to be a merciful neighbour and go and do likewise. So the command to love God with all your being expresses itself in extending mercy to our neighbours in need. But what about the gospel? Isn't that God's power self for salvation, should we tell people about the forgiveness of sin and eternal life that Jesus offers? Or should we focus on practical love and using words only when necessary? It is vital for us to see how God's mission of mercy is wedded to proclaiming the gospel to the nations. In God's word to us today, 
we heard Jesus give two imperatives to his people. Firstly, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And following the parable of the Samaritan, showing mercy to the one in need, Jesus says, you go and do likewise. So we as God's people, as followers of Jesus, are to go and do both. On account of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are to proclaim the gospel. The gospel of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then as we extol this good news, we are to show God's love, mercy and compassion to a people in need. Jesus himself proclaimed the gospel with accompanying acts of mercy. We read, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And in this way, he, he is a model to his disciples to go and do likewise. We read again, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So we see that Jesus' mission continues in the disciples' mission, in both proclaiming the gospel and extending his mercy to the nations. The gospel is wedded to acts of love and mercy. The gospel is wedded to acts of compassion. Acts of love and mercy commend the truth of the gospel as God's power for salvation and transformation in life. When the gospel is received, the one who's forgiven much loves God much, and this overflows into mercy for one's neighbour. And the gospel is the fullest expression of God's mercy. The fullest expression of God's mercy. For each one of us has sinned against the eternal God and deserves God's eternal condemnation. But thanks to Jesus' death and resurrection for us, God in his love and mercy made us alive in Christ and raised us up in him. Over a number of years, God has been leading me towards the mission of Bible translation. Now this is primarily a, a ministry of bringing God's word to a people who don't know God. It's so that they may come to know him and love him. But the thing is, many people groups who, who are yet to receive God's word, they don't have good literacy so alongside the translation work, there's a great need for literacy so that people can engage with the scripture. But as well as helping people know God, teaching literacy brings freedom for people to engage in their culture more confidently. It helps them to understand, for example, government information and how to act appropriately, which they may not otherwise know. And it helps them to understand, helps them to do business. 
and to manage their personal livelihoods. And once God's word penetrates a community, you hear many other stories of the transformation it brings. If you talk to missionaries, you hear all sorts of stories such as husbands loving their wives more gently, wives giving up sorcery on their husbands, the abolition of child sacrifice, freedom from sex trafficking, and many more. What I want to say is the gospel is the fullest expression of God's loving mercy to us. And it results in a life of loving mercy to others who don't yet know him. So I urge you, recognize your great need for Jesus and how he meets your greatest need in forgiving your sin and giving you eternal life with him. Then in gratitude for his great mercy to you, extend this mercy to the one in need. Tell them the gospel and show them God's compassion. They are wedded hand in hand and point to God's kingdom to come. God's mercy through you, through you to the one in need, is so intimately connected that loving Jesus overflows in love for your neighbor. And loving your neighbor is loving Jesus. As our Lord says, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The Lord himself sends us out into a world in great need. So let's follow his example. Tell your neighbor the good news of what Jesus has done for them so that they may have peace and life with God. And commend the gospel by showing your neighbor its beauty and transforming power through acts of love, mercy and compassion. Let's pray. Praise you, Lord Jesus, that you died and rose again to bring us forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Praise you for sending us, sending us out into a world in great need. Please, God, help us to tell our neighbour the good news of what you've done for us so that they may have peace and life with you. And help us to show our neighbour the beauty and transforming power of your gospel through acts of love, mercy and compassion. Lord God, fill us with your spirit to love you and to love our neighbour as ourselves. Amen.